HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm, the first cheese-making co-op in Vermont. For more information, visit www.considerbardwellfarm.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, hey, you're listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Arroway, and uh, it's a little cloudy, a Monday, and late summer now in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, we've been talking about for the last, uh, I don't know, decade or so about how print magazines, uh, print media in general is in a serious state of danger. Um, uh, Newspapers and magazines are folding or shrinking and um, subscriptions are falling while online uh, online presence is really taking center stage for a lot of these publications. Yet, a small, brave new crop of smaller publications are unlikely... um, kind of paving their own way, unlikely e. I don't know how to say that, <laughs> <laughs> are, are paving their way with a, a, a very different new voice. And I wanted to talk more about that because I have the founder of one such amazing magazine called Saucy on the, on the show right now. It's Kristen Taylor. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. So um, Saucy was started about a year or two ago? About a year and a half, yeah. And uh, what would you sum it up as? I'm holding one right now. So well, it's like, a it's a crazy mm. project. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it really it's all it's a magazine all about our relationships with food and each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, very visually stunning. So it's not you know it and it's seasonally themed. Right. So this issue's theme, the one that just came out, is on. It's movement, actually. Movement. Yeah, and the whole thing is set in Miami. These are actually, every issue is theme-driven, as, as you mm-hmm. said. And I have some people say to me, well, where are the recipes? I said, well, there's some, there are some hidden inside. I saw. There are uh, few. The Ropa Vieja. Yes. Yeah. It, is not, it doesn't look like a recipe because there's no <laughs> ingredients. Step one, procedure. 
um, it's it it actually looks like a poem. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, and it's it's beautiful. So it's I mean I can read it as a recipe, and mm-hmm. I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. You know why 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 are all recipes kind of? I'm doing the drawing the square thing. Yeah, it's fun to take it out of the grid mm. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And the whole magazine, for that matter, too. I mean, it's not like you're following um, best Thanksgiving recipes. <laughs> oh, my God. How much do we have to see that? I'm, like, seeing that on newsstands, like, now in Already. August. Um, and, and things like, I don't know, the summer travel issue. This is kind of like that, but it's about movement. Yeah, this is about endless summer. And, and when I was thinking about what's a weird place mm-hmm. that feels like it's sort of stuck in a season, I was thinking about Miami. So that's why I set <laughs> this issue there. Um, but also because I was thinking about movement and time. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's a place that feels a little bit surreal, a little bit hyper real almost and out of time. Yeah. And so that's what this issue is really sort of exploring and like what, what food do you eat? Not in paradise, but in this like weird other place. Okay. Yeah. When I look through it, I feel like I see a weird place like through your vision, through your visuals in the magazine that I, I wouldn't be able to pinpoint as Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you've spent considerable time there. Um, you've lived there for about uh, yeah. So a few I lived months? there. I lived there for about a year, mm-hmm. uh, about fourteen months. Um, and what I discovered is that that South Florida is just I I would call it lawless, really. <laughs> um, and they they just do their own thing. But all because it's a tropical zone, you get all of these amazing fruits that otherwise grow in Asian countries and other places. Durian. Um, yeah. Exactly. And all of these strange melons um, and just all of these things that, that I don't associate with the U.S. Right. Really. And because it's right down at the tip of Florida, you just get everybody doing their own thing and people growing these incredible heirloom things that they just kind of want to see if it's going to grow. And it does. Mm-hmm. So. And so like unlike a, a normal maybe feature about Miami, um, I was I was shown a different side of it. But also I feel like it was a very intimately um portrayed Miami because you know it very well and you're able to share that um it's not just like a travel piece here's the cool places and I feel like in each of your issues you try to talk about something that is very intimate and sort of personal to you or you tackle a big subject by showing you by showing us those those things right well I think it's more interesting when it's um when it has some kind of subjectivity to it Mm -hmm. so I'm showing places that I have lived, that I do live, um, and uh, and thinking more about like what are what are things that I've eaten when I'm there. What's real food? Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, the things that that are in there are things that I have photographed that have come out of my kitchen or a kitchen right. that I'm cooking in. Um, and so it's not just some glossy thing mm-hmm. um, that sort of has little relationship to people who actually eat it. Right. Um, right. You know, and some of it's still very beautiful, and it's meant to be beautiful because we do eat with our eyes. But but it is meant to be real. It is. Um, and I remember you had uh, a few issues ago, the theme was food poisons. <laughs> yes, dangerous food, yeah. And, you know, that's, that's really fascinating to me. Uh, you, you might expect a lot of, like, investigative journalism or something <laughs> like that in it. But um, instead it was, a, it was this really interesting pastiche of sort of uncertainties. Um, that you come across with food. Well, there's so many things that we don't realize are, are poisonous or dangerous for people because people, when I was making that, they were thinking, well, she only going to write about puffer fish and, you know, kind of, kind of this exotic, <laughs> you know, stuff that you might die from. And in fact, there's like ordinary things that are dangerous for people mm-hmm. like fava beans. Um, so I was more interested in that and our relationship with that kind of knowledge, 
Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't intentionally want to poison any of my friends, but I do want to cook for them mm-hmm. and I need to figure out how to do that. So <laughs> that's utilitarian. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing is like Miami is this place where um, I had all of these very strange encounters because that's mm-hmm. the kind of place that it is. Right. Um, and so a lot of those do happen around food. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Miami is a, is a tourism hub. Um, right, and very right. much sort of this um, place that people fly through on their way to South America. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really see that in the cuisine that happens in the town. Um, and, and when you get outside of the tourist areas and you get into South Florida and you get into areas that are even in downtown Miami and not on South Beach, um, you start to see what, what people who live there really eat. And Peruvian culture there is really interesting. Um, Ecuadorian culture is really interesting there. So Very cool. Um so you're, you know, you're a great photographer, visual artist. Um, obviously, um, these these issues are very conceptual, and um, for a magazine of this kind of high quality printing and photography, um, why did you go with food as a subject as opposed to I don't know maybe travel or fashion? Right. Well, I mean, food lets us talk about everything, mm-hmm. uh, which is the mm-hmm. nice doorway in. Um, but for me, it's because food has been sort of the way that I've um, been able to get into a place and get out of a place. Um, it's very much been sort of an escape mechanism for me hmm. to be able to figure out who I was in that moment huh. um, and how to relate to people that were around me. Um, and then for me, um, it's been a way to sort of carry me forward into the next place in my life. Right. Um, you know, and when I turn my camera on things, there are often landscapes. Um, but then there's also the plate because for me, it's been learning, you know, how do I feel about what I eat every day? How do I, how do I feel every day? Um, and so it's easiest to start looking at what you're cooking for yourself and Mm -hmm. start taking photos of that. And it's sort of developed from there. Um, there are some photos in this issue that, um, maybe feel a little bit at odds with what we think about in a food magazine. Um, there's an incredible area of Miami called the design district. Mm -hmm. Um, and the mural culture there is just so great because, you know, somebody puts something up and then someone else adds to it and someone else adds to it. And then they create this sort of elaborate thing that all together is, is much greater than the initial graffiti. Yeah. Um, and so that to me says a lot about what's happening culturally there between how people are relating to each other in different neighborhoods, um, and also how they're eating together. Um, so it is truly, uh, like changing the business landscape, Mm -hmm. um, and where people move and how people move around the city. Wow. It's beautiful too. I love seeing, um, like your your shots of these very very different highly stylized uh, artwork on the on the walls um, of places. But um, so, but getting back to what you're saying about is food is how you get into places and how you get out of them. Um, do you find like that? Do you have like a, any particular food uh, restrictions that you feel like you feel accepted or like welcomed in a certain place mm. when? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't well, I mean, sure what that meant. For me, when I moved to Miami, well, so um, so I, I drove down to Miami. I was in Charlottesville, Virginia, and I, I drove down, um, and I brought um, I brought lard with me from the farmer's market <laughs> in Charlottesville because I'm that kind of food nerd. Um, and then I was in Atlanta uh, visiting my parents, and I double-fried Krispy Kreme donuts and lard um, because okay. that's kind of what you do in Atlanta in my, in my parents' household. Um, and then I was driving down to Miami, which made it even stranger as a way to enter the space. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I got down there, I couldn't figure out sort of what I wanted to make first in the kitchen. Because for me, it's about unpacking the boxes, but also unpacking the kitchen utensils. Mm-hmm. Being like, okay, what am I going to 
feed myself in this space. Um, and my comfort food is, is usually shrimp scampi. Like that's the first thing that I cook. Um, and when I moved to Miami, I couldn't find shrimp that I really liked that looked like normal shrimp Mm. because in that area they use, um, the little tiny, the bay shrimp, you know, that are an indicator species. Um, so I was able to find those, but I walked into the fish market and there, there is a photo of it, but it's, it's a lot cleaner now than it used to be. Um, but there were these, there were these little old ladies who were maybe four and a half feet tall. Um, and they had these enormous fish heads that I swear were larger than they than were. Their heads. Um, and they were in there to buy the fish heads for Friday soup. Right. Okay. And so I'm watching this and I'm going into this fish shop that I had done some online research and found, um, and just entering into that space and seeing them in line and finding beautiful little shrimp that were a different yeah. size than I expected that helped me go, okay, this is really bizarre. Um, and how am I going to do this in this space? Uh, but that was a way for me to go, okay, like this is, I'm going to make this claim. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to cook shrimp scampi and it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I could move from there into like other things that I wanted to cook. But I think that we often enter a space and we're like, I know what I want to eat or I know what I'm good at cooking. Yeah. Um, and we have to be able to go, well, what, what actually should I be cooking here? What should I be making? What's good here? Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's, you this have to concept. adapt with the environment yeah. that you're in. The same way where we cook things seasonally because they're in season, right. we know they'll taste That's our best. That's the environment then. you're in. Yeah. So when you move, you have to be like, okay, well, what, what's actually good here? Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I definitely feel that way. And there's a, some, some feeling of, of comfort and, um, settling in after you've yes. figured out how to cook in, in a, new environment Mm -hmm. it's like yes i can be here now (laughs) yeah it feels like an accomplishment yeah um and and you know we all travel um i'm not sure how many how many other people cook when they travel but it's it's definitely so much fun it's so much fun the markets are so fun to Mm -hmm. go to and and think oh and this is what's special here right but even you know by that token when you go and you look for somewhere to sit down and eat like at a restaurant or a food stand you're really looking for that sense of comfort. What is good for, what's the best idea for me that is this place, this different place. Right. And I mean, there's still the sense of novelty and how Mm -hmm. beautiful that is. And and you go, what is this? I don't know what this is. Um, but you do want to have some kind of purchase on a place where you feel like, Oh, I could, I could do this. Right. Right. And you know, everyone has to eat. (laughs) So, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, we're going to just cut to a quick little musical interlude, um, and we'll be right back chatting more with Kristen Taylor of Saucy. Ooh, baby. Oh, baby, can't you, can't you hear me crying? You're listening to Help Me Now oh, by the California now? Honey Drops on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Today's program has been brought to you by Consider Bardwell Farm. Spanning the rolling hills of Vermont's Champlain Valley and easternmost Washington County, New York, 300-acre Consider Bardwell Farm was the first cheese-making co-op in Vermont founded in 1864 
by Consider Stebbins Bardwell himself. Rotational grazing on pesticide-free and fertilizer-free pastures produces the sweetest milk and the tastiest cheese. All of their cheeses are aged on the farm in their extensive system of caves. Consider Bardwell Farm is also a big supporter of Heritage Foods USA's No Goat Left Behind program. No Goat Left Behind is a serious effort launched in 2011 by Heritage Foods USA designed to introduce goat meat to American diners and provide a sustainable end market for dairy animals. For more information, please visit www.considerbardwellfarm.com. All right, we're back on Eat Your Words, chatting with Kristen Taylor of Saucy Magazine. So we talked a lot about uh, the recent issue on movement. And uh, just to back up a little bit, how hard or difficult... Well, first of all, you are the only employee of Saucy, correct? <laughs> I am. It's the shortest masthead ever. <laughs> it's just me. So you're the producer, the writer, the photographer, the publicist, yes. the distributor. Mm-hmm. Um how did you fund it? Like, how, how does that work? Oh, yeah. So that's, well, if it does work. Um, <laughs> so I did a Kickstarter for this issue, and mm-hmm. then I did one um, for the fourth issue in the fall. So the one that we talked about earlier, Dangerous Food, was number three. Okay. Um, and then the fourth one was a Kickstarter, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, that was called The Unbearable Lightness of Eating. That was the holiday issue. And then there was Black Valentine. Um, and so the Kickstarter actually was more than funded in the yeah. fall, which was great. So I was able to use the excess funds to go to toward the, the Valentine one. issue. Because the thing about publishing an indie mag is that you don't have scale, right. right? which is how the cost can come down. Because you always have the setup fee with a printer. And I work with Prolific Group, um, and they're in Canada, and they're amazing. And they just, you know, they really nerd out with you mm-hmm. on paper and print cool. and color. Because, I mean, you know that when you're taking photos of food, if the colors aren't right, it looks really unappetizing. It could, yeah, it yeah. could be bad. It's gross. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, um, so we had to really play with it to get the paper stock right and to oh. make it really feel good. Um, and then I ki- did a Kickstarter for this one. Um, and I was able to do it in a two-week Kickstarter instead of a month. Because I knew that the, the issue was already done. It was at the printer. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to make sure that, um, that I was going to be able to, to print it and get it out. Um, and then now I can start thinking about how it might go out into the world in different ways. Awesome. Yeah. Well, congratulations on those Thank Kickstarter you. campaigns. Yeah. And, and do people like kind of like pre-buy, pre-order an issue when they do that as their reward? Yeah. They do. So that makes perfect sense. And you know how to... It's been great. And yeah. also it's been really fun. I use the Kickstarter to send an update every day during the two weeks. Um, and to give more context to the issue. Right. So sort of to give more background um, t- around some of the photos. Because many people who ended up backing the Kickstarter have never been to Miami. So yeah. it is yeah. this place that is an unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that way it should be, I hope, a little bit richer of an experience. Because this one, this issue is 80 pages. Mm-hmm. But it's really meant to be sort of you sit down with it and you spend a couple hours or maybe an hour um, just kind of leafing through it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't lend itself quite as well as, as some other magazines and indie magazines do to picking up and reading one little thing and going away. Right, right. It works better when you do the whole thing in one shot. Cool. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's working out so far. You sounded a little hesitant, though, at first, like if it is working out. But <laughs> it's it's almost kind of like a subscription model. A little bit. And yeah. I do have a subscription thing up on my uh, on my um, site, thesaucymag.com. Um, but it's really with indie mags, you just go, you know what, we have to make this thing happen. Yeah. So you get the issue out the door and then you start worrying about the next issue. Do you think this is a sustainable way? Cause I mean, I've been hearing about everyone from authors writing cookbooks to people starting their ice cream businesses. Everyone's doing, you know, Kickstarter, mm-hmm. um, for 
a lot of different moving parts kind of projects. And it's working out so far for you. It's been great. I mean, yeah. it's, it's been totally amazing because this was meant to be a personal project that was just yeah, important to me. I see. And I made the um, the dangerous food issue and then just gave it to some friends. Had some right, people over right. and said, hey, I made this thing. I want to give I want to give you one. Um, and then I had someone say, why don't you try a Kickstarter? I said, I don't know. Um, and, uh, and then it just worked out, which was great. And that gave it the momentum to continue and brought it to a new audience that I don't think otherwise would have right. found it, which was great. And about 40% of, um, of the fall Kickstarter was an international audience. Huh. So that's really fun. Um, that's wow. how, you know, the internet sort of finds its yes, way. Yes, it does. You know, but, but part of the problem is that, you know, they're so expensive to make things to make real things mm-hmm. um, and it's hard to educate an audience even an audience that loves you about the true expense of the thing itself right you know so that you know you do have to do a kickstarter and say like this is the big setup cost this is the fee right. the magazines themselves are less but there's still a big setup fee and you have to divide that by the total that you're making um, but it is a special thing and I think that actually helps us when we're making indie magazines because we have to think harder about you know what's actually going to be a collectible thing mm-hmm. you want to use really good paper because exactly. it's meant to last it, it definitely it definitely feels so much meant to last than um, than most and uh, you know this thin kind of like right but glossy mm-hmm. and another thing I want to add is that there are no ads in this right. uh, is this something would you would you consider doing ads in the future maybe to lure i definitely consider it mm-hmm. you know i mean once you get into this you get really addicted to making magazines i guess so, <laughs> so yeah started so, as a passion project right and, yeah. now i just I, now i just want to keep it going okay um and so yes i would consider it but i think uh, it really would have to be something that makes sense for the audience mm-hmm. um so you always do better when you can do less of that and something that's really on brand okay uh, meaning people who want something totally different Right. This, I don't think, would ever work in a mainstream way because um, it's not just pretty pictures of food with recipes. Right. Um, even though I love that, too, that's not what this is. Um, so, you know, so when it's on a newsstand, what would it be around? Um, and some of those publications that make more sense are more independent stuff mm-hmm. um, and some lifestyle things, you know, things that are just a little bit strange. Right. So. Um, another thing this isn't is uh, a blog like a tumblr with right. you know photos or something did you consider that and is this well i have deliberate you know, <laughs> i have a couple dozen tumblers because i have a problem <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, and i love it but this always felt to me like something that i wanted to make as a real thing i think partly yeah. because i've worked on the internet for, for more than a yes. decade and i wanted to have something that was like i made this thing and i can touch it and here that I is so interesting one. yeah yeah and that's partly the kickstarter in the fall was great because we um i ended it and it was right before the holidays so people could give it as gifts mm-hmm. um and it's just hard to give internet gifts right we 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 work in this it arena seems too where, free well yeah it's <laughs> just it's hard to make it it's just hard to wrap it i know correctly True. um so anyway so that worked out really well um and i think also this is sort of like i feel like doing the analog print thing makes me um appreciate the online stuff even more I see. Yeah. Um, and I am thinking about ways that some of this content could, could be online, could be online or could or sort of different type of content that's related to it could be online, but in a different way, like as an iPad magazine, perhaps. Maybe the recipes, you could co- combine those. Right. Well, and I'm also, you know, this issue is about movement and it's mm-hmm. like you can't put you can't put an MP3 in a print magazine. So, you know, how do you create some of these <laughs> other ways that there is movement? Um, so that that would make sense for an online. Maybe Heritage Radio can work on that. Yes, <laughs> please do. <laughs> um, so 
What was I going to say? I had something I was going to say. Oh, yes. You mentioned uh, that there's a small magazine coalition that mm-hmm. you're a member of. Right. The Little Magazine Coalition. And yes. is this a... How many magazines are involved? Is it regional? Is it a so new it, thing? It's kind of new. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are maybe 12 magazines in it right now. And most of us um, live in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And it's not just food stuff. Um, right. Although uh, Ralph of uh, Put an Egg on It yeah. um, is sort of our fearless leader right now. <laughs> cool. um, and partly because that publication has also been around for a while. Um, and, Put an uh, egg on it, a food little zine. Which is it's great. Cute. It's printed on green paper if you've yeah. seen it. Um, but then, you know, also um, really excellent magazines that I love like Kill Screen, which is about gamer culture. So it's not just video games, but kind of the culture around oh, cool. that. What does that mean? Um, day job is mm-hmm. in it. And so, you know, you really have it sort of, it's, it's a spectrum of people who are trying to make something that feels um, a little bit weightier. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so we, we do have these meetings and we're thinking about new ways to sort of distribute. Right. Um, because where does, where does it make sense to do that? And I think we have more power as a group um, to leverage that and perhaps to even, you know, do ads or events together, mm-hmm. which would make more sense because again, we don't have the luxury of scale. We're not selling millions of copies. We're making special things for small groups of people. So are you thinking more bookstores or more maybe food stores, maybe specialty too. grocers? Yeah, we have this really beautiful thing in Brooklyn where you have food stores um, that are really specialized, but they have print products in them mm-hmm. um, that are beyond just cookbooks. Absolutely. So it makes sense when you think about what should be next to each other on a shelf. Yeah, like the Brooklyn Kitchen and so forth. Exactly. All right, Brooklyn Kitchen, if you're listening, <laughs> please carry we got saucy. some small magazine coalition. We're covering you away. <laughs> um, So I should back up. Um, uh, I was I was commenting during the break, um, complimenting Kristen's uh, lovely radio voice. Um, I actually first met Kristen at a storytelling salon called The Shed at some mutual friends. And uh, Kristen always tells a really interesting story um, at these events. And it just seems like you're a natural at that, just telling stories. Thank you. I think Um, we always look for ways to tell new stories. mm -hmm. I mean, that's what both of us do online. Vocal and then visual. They just come out in different ways. It's like, what's the right way to tell it? Um, The Shed is such a special thing because it's in a backyard you feel very welcome, very safe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have the right, I think, parameters around it. Um, we should probably say that the shed is run by Jason Freed, Audrey Ever- Evans, um, and Chris Anthony, um, and then Katie Cooper. Um, and so they just create this monthly thing that just feels wonderful to be in it because there's only really, you know, six or eight speakers. The stories are seven minutes. They have to be true and they have to be about your life. Mm -hmm. Um, And And they're based on a theme of the month. Which is great. Um, So we just, we just uh, had the steamy summer stories one, which is fun too. And there's always food too, which is very welcoming. And you're saying it's very different from other storytelling type of events, uh, like, you know, public ones like the moth. Mm-hmm. where people just have drinks <laughs> right no I <laughs> which think, is nice too I think having food really yeah. changes it and not just bar food but food that people um that there's a big spoon in mm-hmm. that people are serving Family each other style out of food not pasta right. appetizers right. like <laughs> little right. bites of something on yeah it, it, it's very homey you're right yeah i just like the way it feels i think that leads to better stories and uh, just to talk a little bit about your, your other projects, because Saucy is um, a passion project and a side project, um, and you're now a digital editor at where? At Al Jazeera, right. Yeah, Congratulations. So, thank you. Yeah, it's been incredible and intense. 
Um, but yeah, I'm a senior digital producer for this show called Fault Lines, which is a long form documentary program. And it airs every week on Al Jazeera America and on Al Jazeera English, um, which is fun again, because it's this long form com- you know, content. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. You, um, you're able to actually spend time and meet a bunch of different characters over a 25 minute episode. That's much harder to do in like a three minute or seven minute news. Definitely is. Yeah. Um, and that is something that actually helps me when I think about all these other kinds of projects that I work on because I'm leading the online experience. Mm -hmm. So when we think about a cable show, Mm -hmm. um, and not all of us even have cable, I don't have cable. Um, so I don't have a TV. (laughs) I don't even know anyone who has cable. Um, so how do we create an online experience around that knowing that there's more than just watching the episode itself? Mm -hmm. Um, so we just had a Bangladesh episode and we were able to put up online the document trail around the episode put up some background reading before the episode happened, put up a photo slideshow, do a live tweeting of the show with screenshots, put that up online. So people are able to find a way. And I think that's really big when you're thinking about an audience online or off. Right. Is like, how do you bring people in so that they feel like they could be interested in learning more? Mm hmm. Sounds like a lot more work, you know, and thought that's put into it. And, uh, you know, I was reading about uh, Al Jazeera and uh, U.S. and England um, and how it's it's really focused on that hard-hitting journalism that we seem to be losing a bit of. Right, and it's today. so important. And I, I think actually the U.S. audience is one that really wants that type of content. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been really kind of hungry for it. So I'm hoping that this is a bigger launch will lead to more people accessing this content. And such an interesting juxtaposition between your two, <laughs> <laughs> your two yes. projects right now. Yes, very the Saucy much. Magazine is, um, it, uh, I don't know, different. <laughs> I don't know but always, it. I think it's a little bit subversive. Uh-huh. Um, it's funny, I was listening to the ad that was playing. and I was, You're right, it is subversive. Um, yeah, yeah, and I was thinking about um, when I used to live in Miami, um, you know, we could, you can buy raw milk in Miami. Oh, okay. Um, really? But it has to be labeled for pet consumption only. Uh-huh. So everyone would always say, like, I'm going to the store to get, you know, some supplies for my six foot tall pet. Oh. So-, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Well, that works, I guess. <laughs> um, no, but it is subversive and it, it, it asks the tough questions. So thank you for doing that in this wonderful food magazine and it's really exciting i can't wait to see each new issue as it comes out um and where else can we get saucy currently um except for what's the website it's the saucy mag.com the saucy mag.com where else can we find it so Um, i'm going to be selling these at the brooklyn flea yay um, next saturday and the saturday after that and then it might be carried in some brooklyn stores soon (laughs) cross your fingers listen (laughs) brooklyn kitchen (laughs) Um, and then we'll see. I don't know. That sounds great. Um, so if you want to see Kristen, meet her, chat her up at the flea and buy some saucy next uh, Saturday, Fort Greene, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Kristen, for joining us here. Thank you for having me. And great. thanks, everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>